0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 29th, 2023, we conclude our series titled, Jonah, When God Says Go. Today's sermon, The Heart of
1: God, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Jonah chapter 4. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. God in his sovereignty, he put people around you uniquely because God knows the way that you talk about him is gonna be different from another person. The people he's put around you in his sovereignty, knowing the condition of their hearts, are the people that he wants you to tell about him. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try and do God's work by trying to know the ripeness of their heart. We don't know. Just tell everyone and keep it simple. Tell what you know about Jesus and how he's changed your life. And God will do the work inside that person. And now you might say, yeah, but the person I'm thinking of, they're super against God, like bumper stickers on the car, raging atheists, they don't want anything to do with God. I mean, there is no way. But church, God reaches the unreachable. Jonah chapter three, that's the beauty of it. These Ninevites in the city of Nineveh, there was no way. They had everything they wanted, power, fame, prestige. They wanted to conquer the Israelites, not not bow down to their God. From the outside, they didn't look ripe at all. But God knew that they were right where he wanted them.
0: If you go back and read through the whole book, you'll see a phrase that comes up over and over and over again, and it's, Jonah said, or, the Lord said to Jonah, the Lord said to Jonah, the Lord said to Jonah a second time, God is audibly speaking to Jonah. I've never had the privilege uh, or the great fear of God audibly speaking to me. I just haven't. Uh, but I can tell you there have been times, there have been moments that I would, without a doubt say, God through the power of his Holy Spirit is speaking directly to me. And so I want to set one of those moments up for you, uh, because I think what God shared with me would be the same thing he was say to us through Jonah today. Uh, I was out of town uh, with a buddy of mine from Chicago. And uh, like two dudes late at night, we looked at each other and we thought, man, I'm hungry. And we deliberated about where to go and we argued back and forth. And then he asked me a question that forever changed my life. He said, hey, have you ever been to White Castle? <laughs> Never been. Get in the car, let's go. So we hop in his car and he's filling my head full of uh, glorious stories of cheese sliders and grilled onions and crave cases and we make our way to where the White Castle is. But for reasons that we didn't realize at the time but would soon become evident in just a moment, we had to park across the street because they had shut the street down and there was a huge party going on between us and the White Castle. And I looked at him and I thought, there's a 1,000 people in between us and where we want to go to eat, and he said, it's worth it, let's go. I said, all right. So we get out of the car, and I quickly begin to make my way down to this party taking place in the streets, and I realize this is no church picnic. Uh, This is a party. There are red Solo cups everywhere you could look. There are yardsticks full of some sort of green concoction the bitter smell of herb is in the air. I mean, it is a party. The music is pumping and people are going nuts. This might be a Friday night for some of you, but I'm a pastor. This is a world I haven't seen since freshman year of college, and I begin to push my way through this crowd. And as I'm working my way through and I'm seeing things, I am hearing things, I'm smelling things that for reasons that I didn't realize at the time were just making me angry, I remember walking through and they're spilling things on me and they're yelling things at each other, all in fun, and they're having a great time. But I'm just getting more and more upset at the debauchery that I'm seeing. And I'm walking around and I'm seeing the injustice everywhere. And I, I mean, I'm to the point where I'm ready to throw a punch the next guy that throws throws green beer on me, right? I mean, I'm just angry, not at what's happening to me, but what I am seeing around me. And this self righteous anger just began to build up in my soul. And then, by God's sovereign grace, we come to this weird clearing in the middle of this huge party. The people had circled up, and there were two or three people dancing in the middle of this huge circle, open space. I remember looking and there was one particular lady that was dancing over here. She had clearly partaken in everything that this party had to offer. And she was just dancing her heart out. And with all of this rage and anger in me, it was like God just came to me in that moment and put his arm around me. I said, Kevin, I got something to share with you. I said, do you see all of these people? Do you see that young lady dancing? Kevin, they all bear my image. They all bear my image. And they all have intrinsic worth and value to me. And somewhere between getting out of the car and this moment, Kevin, you forgot how much you need my son, Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the way, you feel like you're better than them. And this just wave of emotion crept over me. I mean, I had... I was with my friends, so I had to act tough, but man, I had those big tears pooling up on the edge of your eyelid where if you blink, it just comes down, so I'm trying to do this. as I mean, I was just gripped. And we make our way through the rest of the crowd, and I get into the restaurant, and we're eating our food, but my head is just wrapped in this reality that somewhere, somewhere along the way from when I found Jesus to that moment, the, the gospel had lost its beauty and its joy in my life, and I had lost my dependence upon Jesus. Somewhere, I had begun to think, God, you're pretty lucky to have me. Look at all these terrible people out there. And it was like God in that moment said, oh, no, 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 Kevin, what you need to understand, what you need to realize each and every moment of every day is how much you need Jesus. And every person that I've put in your path bears my image, and they have incredible worth and value to me Do they have value to you, Kevin? Does your heart break with compassion when you see everything that's going on? Or do you well up with self-righteousness and me and God are just having this conversation? I've tried every moment of every day from that time on. I can still, I could, could, if there's a caricature artist here, I could tell you the exact picture of that woman dancing because it's so burned into my brain and my soul where God basically said, Kevin, today's the day that you're going to stop being a self-righteous little punk, and you're going to start seeing the world as I see it. As Jesus saw it, harassed and helpless sheep, sheep without a shepherd, and what he longs for from his kids, what God wants from his children, is an utter dependence upon Jesus Christ and a heart for the world he puts in front of us. So that's where we're going to go in Jonah today. And so here's a question. Before we dive into the word, the question I got to ask you guys, because I'm asking it myself is, uh, you've heard us say a lot, who's your Nineveh? Where's your Nineveh? Let me just ask it this way. Is there, are there people, are there people in your world that if you were honest, I'm not going to ask an answer out loud, but just between you and the Lord, that if you were honest, you would say, you know, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to have compassion towards them. It's hard for me to see them as anything other, as a, an enemy or a thorn in my side or something. Do you have that? Some of you, man, if we're honest, it might be an entire race of people. And I'm asking you, can you see them as image bearers of God? For many of us, at least from people that I've interacted with, it's people that share a different ideology than us. Maybe they're from a different political affiliation and we have a hard time seeing them as anything other. They share a different lifestyle than maybe we would choose. Their moral compass is a little bit different than ours and instead of breaking with compassion, we see them and label them as something else. Or maybe you're like me, and I will fully own this up here. I'm not going to get up here and pretend I'm not. It's an individual. There's a single individual in your life that if you were honest between you and the Lord, compassion is not what comes out of you. Can we own that? Can we own that reality? And can we sit here as brothers and sisters in Christ in the house of God and go, God, here I am. Would you do work on my heart in a way that only you can? Would you show me how much I need Jesus? And maybe that twinges our heart just enough to get us going in this message of compassion for the world around us. So let me pray for us with that on our minds and hearts, and then we'll dive into Jonah this morning. God, I thank you for your patience and your grace with me. Uh, I thank you for uh, your ability to uh, overcome even my own shortcomings. And God, you know uh, where my heart is at right now. And you know the bitterness and the uh, lack of empathy and compassion I hold toward an individual. And God, I lay that before you. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. God, that you would do a work in our heart and our soul this morning through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, as always, we would handle your word correctly and God, that you would speak to us. Uh, God, that not one of us would leave here today the same way we came. Um, but somehow, God, that you would help us look a little bit more like your son. God, maybe have a heart a little bit more in line with his, as you do what only you can do, and that's change us from the inside. So we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're going to be in, in, in Jonah 4, let me go to Jonah chapter 3 and pick up the last verse that Brendan shared with us last week, because I think it's very interesting. Uh, here's what chapter 3, verse 10 says, when God saw what they did. Who's the they? Ninevites. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they had turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The people of Nineveh repented and turned to the Lord. Pick it up, chapter four, verse one. But it, what's the it? The fact that they repented and God didn't destroy them. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry. So, here, let, me, let me contextualize this for you a little bit. Uh, Jonah shows up in Vegas, stands outside the Bellagio fountains, and just shouts out, you're all gonna burn in 40 days unless you turn to the Lord. And they all turn to the Lord. Blackjack dealers put their, their cards down, bartenders come out, brothel owners shut down, mob bosses come up from the sewers, and they're like, that's it, we all need Jesus. And that makes Jonah angry. I mean, this guy is an evangelistic hero. And yet he's angry, he's bitter, because in his mind, these people didn't deserve God's grace and mercy. He wanted justice, he wanted judgment. And like a hungry dude on his way to White Castle, he's looking at this group of people going, oh! But you're gonna see, you're gonna see this morning, we're gonna look at two hearts, right? You're gonna see Jonah's heart, incredibly calloused. Incredibly calloused. But then you're gonna see the heart of God, which is full of compassion, not only for the people of Nineveh, but also for his man Jonah. And he's gonna pursue pursue Jonah in some pretty cool ways as we roll through the rest of this. So Jonah's angry. And now listen to the things that he is angry about. You're gonna hear many of these are things we just got done singing about. This is what makes Jonah angry. Here we go, chapter four, verse two. And so Jonah prays to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, is is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew, you knew what Jonah? Here's Jonah's theology on display. For I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, you know why I'm angry at you? You're gracious, you're merciful, you're abounding in love, and you're slow to discipline people. Now, I've made a lot of people angry. I've made some people angry here, and I've only been here for five minutes, right? (laughs) Never have they looked at me and gone, you know what, Kevin, you know what I hate about you? You know just, mm, you're so gracious, you're so merciful. You just love people all the way through, and your patience, it just drives me nuts. No, and yet that's what Jonah's doing with God. Why? Well, if he's honest, he's just like me. I want God's grace, I want God's mercy, I want his unrelenting love, and I always want God to not punish me the way that I deserve. That I want, but sometimes I don't know if I necessarily want that for other people that bear God's image. And that to me is where Jonah's heart has grown hard. His theology is right. God, you are these things, without a doubt. This way his theology is right. Coming the other way his theology is bad. He forgot. The same way I think we forget who we are in the eyes of God. His kids, absolutely. Loved as his children, absolutely. But sinners in need of a savior, oh, you better believe it. And the morning that you wake up, or I wake up, and I will be honest with you, there's a lot of mornings. The mornings that I wake up and I don't acknowledge my utter dependence upon Jesus Christ and my absolute need for a savior is the day the enemy rubs his hands together and goes, this is gonna be a good day because I got Kevin right where I want him. Self-reliant, self-dependent, no longer realizing how much he needs Jesus. We can do some good work here. And that's where Jonah's at. God, I'm angry because you are good, gracious, loving, merciful, and they don't deserve it. You stopped seeing them as image bearers and started seeing them as something else. Let's keep going. Chapter three, or chapter four, verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, for the first time of many times, you're gonna hear him say this statement. God, just take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And God, in his grace and compassion, looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? It's almost like, Jonah, can you, can you take a step back just for a second? Can you listen to what just came out of your mouth? Can you listen to all the things you're mad at me for? And anything on that list, are you really that angry about that? Do you do well to be angry? But Jonah's going to act like a two-year-old and he's going to throw a fit. And so what does he do? So Jonah went up out of the city, and he sat down on the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what, be, what would become of the city. So get it. And so God, Jonah's yelling at God, and God goes, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah, like a little four-year-old, ugh, oh, fine, and just goes and pouts up on a hill. And okay, so picture Jonah sitting up here on Pinnacle Peak, very top of the peak, just sitting up there, arms folded. Mm, God, you're so good. Mm. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do to this wicked city. And longing in his heart for a Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0 to take place looking down upon the valley, wanting them to perish. His heart just full of bitterness. Now, go back to chapter three. How many days did Jonah say it might take to overthrow the city? 40 days. Was Jonah up there for 40 days? 40 days full of uh, of anger and bitterness in his heart looking out over the city going, maybe it's today. Maybe they're going to get what they deserve today. Counting them, I don't know. But you're going to see Jonah's heart was callous. God's got a heart of compassion. And not just for the people of Nineveh, he's going to pursue our man Jonah in a very powerful way. So look what God does. Jonah's pouting, full of anger, full of bitterness, and God chases after him. Verse 6. So God appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah's throwing a fit, God provides him comfort. He's not gonna leave him there in this comfortable place. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. If you go back to verse one, he was exceedingly angry because of God's grace, but now he's exceedingly glad for a plant Verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed, third time God's appointed something. God is absolutely in this, chasing after his man. God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And again, Jonah asked that he might die. And he said to God, God, it's better for me to die than to live Let's just stop right there. You see what God's doing? God's got a pouty prophet up on a hill. God says, okay, let me, let me give you a little object lesson here. Fires off a plant. Plant grows. Jonah's like, this is great. Good day. Then God takes the plant away. Makes Jonah uncomfortable again. And Jonah gets angry. Angry enough to die. God's using all of this for this next question. He asks the same question, but now we get a qualifier. He says this. God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? For the plant? Jonah, still in his two-year-old mind, says this, yes, I do well, well enough to be angry and angry enough to die. Man, God's just gotta go, wow, still not getting it. Okay, let me frame it to you this way, Jonah. So the Lord looks at Jonah and says this, you pity this plant. You didn't make this plant grow? You didn't labor for it, nor did you make it grow. It came into night, came into being in a night, and perished in a night. Here today, gone tomorrow. Your heart is upset and angry over a plant that grew and died inside of twenty-four hours. Verse eleven. And should I, Jonah, not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? i will give you the breakdown of of the two things talked about here, the people and the the cattle in just a moment, but let me set it up for you this way. Jonah's upset about a plant. He didn't make it grow. Here today, gone tomorrow. God says, you pity this plant? Jonah, stop for a second and look out at this great city. Do you see all the, the, the moms, the dads, the sons, the daughters, the people that bear my image before you? I think in my head, when, when God starts saying, You didn't make it grow, you didn't take care of it, God's thinking, But I got Jonah, I did. I took care of all these people. From the day they were born until this moment, I've provided for them both in protection as well as food, water, family, relationship. I've done all that I can to raise these people up for this moment. And you can't see it. You know who Jonah is? He's me on the front side of that party. Unable to see the image bearers of God before me. No matter what they were doing, no matter how wretched and debaucherous their behavior was, they have intrinsic worth and value to the God of the universe. And I missed it. Because I was so proud of myself and my moral stance. And it took God bring me to the middle of that group and saying, you know what, Kevin? You need Jesus just as much as that girl. Because the only difference between her sin and yours, she's having a whole lot more fun in hers than you are. <laughs> and I remember thinking, God, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. I need Jesus more than she does. And she needs you more than I do. That's why God sent Jonah. To a group of people, lost, absolutely. Qualifier here, 120,000 persons that don't know their right hand from their left. One of two options. One option is, God's talking about all the kids. Jonah, look, if you don't have pity for the adults, have pity on the kids. They don't have a choice in this. They don't know right from wrong. That's one option. I tend to think it's, it's maybe the, the second side. Jonah, look. There's wicked people out there, people that should know better, but there's 120,000 people at least in this city that just don't know any better. They don't have no understanding of one true God. They have no idea that what they're doing is wrong because it's just become a part of their culture and society. It's how they were brought up. Do you have a heart for them? And also much cattle. This is always the what? What? Well, I think it's God saying, Jonah, if you don't care for those people that bear my image, here's what I need you to understand. I do care about them. I do care about them. I don't care just about them. I don't care just about the ones that don't know any better. I care about the beasts of the field. I care about the cattle, the ones that fertilize their fields and, and, and they use as, as, as means of creating crops and their, their sustenance for them. Jonah, I have a heart even for the food and yet you can't even have a heart for these people? Jonah, you've missed it. Your heart has become so callous. Now, I'm gonna come stand way over here because I, no, I got no biblical evidence of this at all other than the book we just read. I think Jonah finally figured it out. I think he did. It ends weird with also the cattle and then just I think Jonah figured it out because that's how we got the book. We got a pretty insider information on the life of Jonah. I don't think somebody wrote this down on years later. I think they heard it from Jonah and I think eventually Jonah got it. I think eventually he got it. I think eventually he figured out, wait, no, no, no. My heart had grown so callous, I stopped seeing the world through the lens of the Lord, as image bearers of God. And I stopped realizing how much I need God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. And so now I spend every moment of every day wrapping my arms around the cross with all that I've got. And when I live in that space, humility comes. And on the heels of humility comes compassion and love and grace for anyone God puts in your path. Because they bear God's image. They bear God's image. And until we get there, until that's the qualifier for whoever God has in front of you, I think Satan wins. I was talking with some some good friends, even this last week. They were telling me great stories of, of, of ways in which this has happened in their life. But you know what was interesting? Every time the story started off with a, with a similar descriptor of the people. Oh, Kevin, let me tell you about uh, what, the, what the Muslim immigrants are doing in the countries they're moving into. Hey, Kevin, can I tell you about someone from the LGBTQ lifestyle and what God did in their life? And then one, not so encouraging, but let me tell you about what a political party that differed from their view did, and they, they labeled them that way. And I, All stories, all different. But where I feel like we miss it is, they're not Muslim immigrants. They're image bearers of God. They're not Republicans or Democrats. They're image bearers of God. They're not LGBTQ persuasion. They're image bearers of God, and they have intrinsic worth and value to God Almighty. And until they matter to me, until my heart breaks with compassion, enemy has won a little victory over my life and I've forgotten who I am to God. His son absolutely in need of a savior you better believe it. And humbled by the cross. So I don't know what this means for you. I don't know what this is all about for you. I do know this. In just a moment we're going to celebrate communion. In just a moment we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. We're going to send you guys out of here. Uh, And you're going to go about your day. And you're going to spend The next week, confronted by image bearers of God from every different walk of life imaginable. My hope and prayer has been just that on some level, in some way, God would give us eyes to see the world as He does. And with compassion in our heart, uh, maybe we would look for the opportunity to brag on Jesus. To brag on Jesus. I said that this week, and Thomas goes, Kevin, that's cute, but what does that mean? Well. Let me think, think of it this way. Uh, you ever brag on your kids? You ever uh, shoot a great round of golf and want to brag about yourself? If you're a Chiefs fan and they win today, you want to brag on your team a little bit? Like we have no problem bragging on things that we are, we are enamored with. So, so can we be enamored with the gospel? Can we be enamored with the fact that the God of the universe came to this earth, gave his life so that I to be forgiven of all things, so that this grace, mercy, and compassion of God, I could experience it. Does that well up in me at all, to when God puts an image bearer in front of me, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, God, if you give me the opportunity, would you let me brag on your son? Would you let me tell him? Now, what I'm not telling you to be is, uh, when the poor Amazon delivery guy walks up to your house tomorrow, don't <laughs> kick the door open and go, Jesus, ah! No. Don't be that guy, that's different, right? But, can you see the Amazon delivery guy? Not as the Amazon delivery guy, as the image bearer of God that he has put on your doorstep. And maybe you just say, good to see you, sir. God bless you, God bless me. Man, let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done for my life. Maybe that opportunity presents itself, maybe it doesn't. But if we can start seeing the world through that lens, we're a lot closer to looking like Jesus than we were when we came in. Let me read to you one last passage. You guys just, you guys are experts on the book of Romans. You studied it for nine years. Uh, Let's take a look at Romans chapter 10, right? Here's the Apostle Paul, here's the Apostle Paul, and I want these these words to echo in your heart as you understand and realize that God is sending us out. We started this series off. Jeff got up here and said, you need to go. You're being called to go. Uh, You're gonna go to brunch. You're going to go to your kid's school tomorrow. You're going to go to the gym this week. You're going to go to work. God's calling you to go. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Actually, you know, before we get there, let me put this in this context. Think of this as 120,000 that don't know their right hand from their left. Think of this as all those people that maybe like me, you have a tendency to go, man, they just don't get it. You're right, they don't. They don't because they have never heard. They don't know. So this is what Paul says to those people that God's going to put in front of us. How will they call on him, being Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who brag on Jesus. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have an apologetic argument. God is most pleased when we brag on his son. And that's all he's asking us to do. How are they to know if they've never heard? Well, God's gonna send us out. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to brag on Jesus, share the good news. I'm gonna close with this as we are about to take communion together. You know, communion's interesting. For some of us, we've done it so many times it can just become a thing we do. Oh yeah, that's right, I didn't get mine. If you didn't get yours, throw your hand up. We'll we'll get somebody to bring that to you. But for all of you in here, maybe you're here and you go, I don't have any idea who this Jesus guy is. I got drug in here because I'm in from out of town and I've been forced to sit here and listen to this guy for the last half hour. Let me share with you What I mean by the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, all of mankind bears the image of God. We were created in his image. You can read that on page two of your Bible. We're made in God's image. But on page four of your Bible, mankind fell. God said, don't do this. We said, I think I got it figured out, and we chose poorly. From that point on, sin entered this world. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I've got it, and you've got it. You can call it a mistake. You can call it a bad decision. You can say, well, I don't always get things right. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible calls it sin, and God says, I can't have sin. I can't tolerate it. Sin equals death, and so me, like you, are destined to die, physically, but also spiritually. That's where we're headed, and that's where we were headed until the God of the universe said, no, I love you guys too much to leave you in that state, so I'm gonna do something unheard of. I'm gonna come down there. And so God comes down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God on earth, lives a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he finds himself in a garden, and he's crying out to God, saying, God, if there's another way, let's do that, because this does not sound fun. God says there's no other way. So hours later, he would be arrested, he would be tried, they would nail him to a cross, and he would bear the sins of the world in that moment on the cross. All the dumb things I've done. Bears every one of them so that I could be forgiven. You see, God loves you, but you and I were sinners. That's why Jesus Christ came, murdered him on that cross. They put him in the tomb three days later. He came back to life. He beat death so that I could have hope of eternity, so that I could live with an eternal perspective, and no, now is not forever, but eternity is coming. That's the great hope that I have. You want to talk about why I brag on Jesus? Because what I have, not only in this life, but in the life to come in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so just like Jesus in the garden, he made his choice. He submitted to the will of the Father, took on the sins of the world. Now it's up to you. What do you choose? What do you choose to do with Jesus. Because you're going to hear, if I'm up here enough, if I get invited back, you're going to hear a hundred times out of my mouth. A hundred years from now, guys, the only thing that matters is what do you do with Jesus Christ? It's the only question God Almighty is going to look at you at when you sit across that seat of judgment and say, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? So the night Jesus Christ would gather with his guys in the upper room and they would take communion together, they're sharing a meal, And he would take the bread and he'd break it and he'd look at his guys and say, guys, this bread's gonna represent my body. It's gonna be broken. So would you take the bread in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus Christ? And then he would take the cup and he would look his guys in the eye and they have no idea what's about to come. But he would say, this cup is going to represent my shed blood, shed on your behalf, ushering in a new covenant of my grace. As often as you take the cup, would you remember me? So would you take the cup, the blood of Jesus Christ, in remembrance of the sacrifice he made for you? Let me pray for us. God, I pray... uh, That I pray for myself. I pray that you would fill my mind uh, with all the things that I have in your son, Jesus. And God, I pray, uh, as I do often, God, would you rid all the distractions this world throws at me, causing me to forget, to get my eyes off of your son, Jesus. God, would you get those out of my way so that I can just fix my eyes on your son. God, I can hold on to his sacrifice with all that I've got. God, as a result of that, would you keep my heart in a place of humility and compassion for the world around me? Keep me in that spot. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as well. God, give us a heart for all those you put in our way. And God, give us courage should the opportunity present itself to brag on your son, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for his sacrifice. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Love of Jesus Christ is a firm foundation for so many of us in here as his sons and as his daughters. We understand that for us. And we can revel in this room in God's grace, mercy, love, and compassion, and we should. But he's about to send us out into a world that has no understanding of that same love, grace, and compassion. And for reasons that we don't understand, he's chosen to use us to reach them. So would you go with a heart of compassion? Would you go and just say, God, use me any way you can, however you want. And we could do that with confidence and courage together. I hope so. I'm a firm believer in this, though. Uh, If we can't love each other well in this room, we got no shot at loving a desperate world out there. Uh, So can we all, under that pretext and understanding, realize service is not over till you love somebody? So would you love somebody on your way out? Encourage them. Let them know how happy you are to see them. Talk about the Bengals-Chiefs game. I don't care. Just be family together and love each other. we got lots of people available up front. We would love to pray with you, encourage you. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you guys next week.